episode 121 of the light shed podcast brandon ross rich greenfield walter pisick keep that music playing rich i it was a very lazy week this week in um market world i guess in media world everywhere we need the pump up so what what gets you to go bc boys 1994 like what in the world provokes that song to hop into your brain Oh, it just fucking pumps me up. And I I wanted, like, it was either that or, like, Rage Against the Machine. And I know how political Walt is, and I didn't want to offend his... I believe okay. they mentioned the word Watergate in this song. So you, you just picked a political song. I thought you might pick something from Sublime, like, I don't know, Smoke Two Joints, because the way you're dressed and the hair and the beard... In the background, I feel like I'm watching an episode of Narcos. Are you about to do a, a, a uh, biplane run across the border? <laughs> I'm not that far from it. No, I am far from it, actually. Not, not that far. It's my southwestern look, Walt. What's wrong with it? I'm just saying. I'm just saying what it. I, what I like to. I like, I like to play the. You know, for our podcast listeners, Brandon is dressed like a Narcos. Um, <laughs> character he's currently western shirt meaning he's making a run for the border this evening he's currently in santa fe i've encouraged i'm sorry i'm sorry sorry. he's currently in albuquerque i've encouraged him to travel southwards towards alamogordo to the white sands which is very close to the texas border uh texas border city of el paso which is also right next to juarez so (laughs) you can do many things on this trip if you just go south but no, I think you're headed north to the plush, yuppieified Santa Fe, where the food is good, the spas are nice, and but you can Walt, climb some ladders. Thank but you. Walt, the whole point of this was to end up in Denver like I do every last week of the summer mm-hmm. in Colorado. And I'm going to be driving. Does and fish play in Colorado in I late mean, August? You know that I do every Labor Day. Oh, I wonder <laughs> why you're in, you're in Albuquerque or whatever in Denver. Or will be. I've I've been to Denver every Labor Day weekend since I think 2011. Okay, so the, here's a real question: How yeah. many days of the year are programmed in vacation wise, but are programmed around seeing fish, like holidays? I know you know New Year's Eve is always fit. Like, what are how many days of the year are literally already programmed because of when fish plays? Every other Halloween, every New Year's, every Labor Day, and every last week of February. It's wonderful to have a passion in your life. Rich, what's the first slide? Well, <laughs> the first slide is actually Brandon's favorite newspaper. All right. Um, Hold on. Can I just interject for here before um, you read this? It just occurs to me. That the reason that USA Today is Brandon's favorite newspaper is not because, as Brandon will soon describe, that they get everything wrong, but it's because that's what gets put out in front of your door at most two-star hotels. (laughs) (laughs) And truth be told, Walt, I went down this morning and I was like hunting around for coffee. It was like 5 a.m., whatever time we're on, mountain time. And of course, there was no coffee, but I did see two copies, print copies of USA Today, which I took a picture of and sent to Rich and Mark. 
it's pretty hilarious. And I can't believe their response to you was not like, just stay at a better hotel for once. I, I stay at fine hotels. I, I live a pretty nomadic life, Walt. I don't want to like spend all my money on lodging. It if sort you see of the reminds USA me today like, in the hotel you're staying at. You ain't doing it right. Can we just move on to like? No, no, no. Because I honestly think it feels like Brandon's life is like Shit's Creek. <laughs> like, think about that. So motel. Now like, that is in the target. Hold on, hold on. The third, because it's usually rich, but this is more fun. <laughs> I have to admit that. Hold on. What's that? What's the spinoff from um, from the drug show? Uh, Better, Better Call, call Saul. Better call but you're Saul. right. You know what, Brandon, you said I shouldn't go on Narco. You're right. This is like a better call, Saul, because Saul would also stay at a two-star hotel and be reading his USA Today while going to the local donut shop. So <laughs> this is amazing. I got coffee cake today. Tell us more about the USA Today, Brandon. What do they do this week? <laughs> coffee cake. Okay. So this all kind of started this morning when our text messages and WhatsApps and Bloomberg messages started lighting up. With the following news, USA Today is reporting that Amazon is about to acquire electronic arts with the deal to be announced today. Okay, let's like kind of back up. First of all, USA Today hasn't broken any news story in at least 20 years, let alone in the financial world or the gaming world. Right. So right off the bat, we knew this was false. I know Rich thought it was real. True or false, Rich? I didn't say it was real. I just said it was interesting that, like, it's an interesting idea. I actually think it is an interesting idea um, for really a couple of reasons. If you look at where Amazon is in the game space, they clearly want to get bigger. They're the biggest physical retailer of games, at least in this country. We know that. Physical is going away, but they now have a subscription offering, um, cloud gaming offering as well. They own Twitch. So they've made attempts over the last several years to build out their own um, uh, studio for for uh, creating games to not really much success. So they it's it's an area that they want to play in clearly. This is where I wanted to stop you because what's, because what's interesting to me is none of the big tech companies really want to buy media businesses, um, content businesses, film studios, TV studios. I mean, I guess Amazon did buy MGM. Yeah. There has not been a sort of massive deals. We haven't seen Apple buy Disney. We, We haven't seen, you know, like we just haven't seen Google go out and buy a major. And so the question is, with Microsoft buying Activision and what this obviously this doesn't seem like this is true, but but in theory, is there some is there something more complicated about creating games with the TV and film business? Clearly, it's just about money. If you have the money, you can build your own studio. That's right. Is that just simply not true yeah. in gaming? No, we've discussed this innumerable times. Right. Um, first of all, the development cycles are much longer for games. It's much more difficult to build the internal expertise to build games. Um, And there's been all of these companies have at least given it a little bit of a shot, but no one's been able to really come up with much. Right. So it's not surprising that they would go out and try and buy um, a publisher if this is a strategic priority. Now, to what extent is it a strategic priority for Amazon? We know they do want to get bigger in 3D interactive. As far as I've understood it, they've wanted to to kind of be bigger and lead the way in the next generation of games that leverage their cloud infrastructure, doing things like, like we've seen um, with Miles, um, which are those huge multiplayer games that are both part, you know, fully interactive and immersive and part more laid back where you can kind of decide how much 
um, you want to be involved or or not in the game. So that sort of next generation of 3D interactive, EA is kind of the old school in video games, as you know, one of the three big publishers in the U.S. Um, the interesting part about it, I think, is their sports focus. And if you look at Amazon, Amazon has a real sports focus on the content side of their business now. So is there something to putting together the licensing of rights with the licensing of sports rights? We know the leagues, which you and I have had conversations with the leagues recently. They want to get bigger in 3D interactive, create different types of content than the content that exists now, want to tell more stories in general. Um, is there something to that? But the but the bottom line is CNBC's reporting the story is not true. Like this is no, the story is not, not true. true. Which, but is EA in play? I guess is the question. I mean, Activision's being bought. I, we think. I, I felt like EA has kind of soft put themselves in play for a very long time. I mean, we would go to meetings and they do a wink, wink, like, oh, when Microsoft buys us one day or something. And this is going back years. We've discussed that on the podcast in the past. Speaking so, of Microsoft, do you want to tie this together? Sure. Xbox Phil Spencer wants to see fewer platform exclusives, more cross-play in, in the future. This is very consistent with Xbox's or Microsoft in general's view of the world in games. They want to democratize gameplay as much as possible. They want games to be available everywhere on every device um, this was, came from an interview with Bloomberg. And I think part of the interview is Phil Spencer wanting to get this deal done to acquire Activision and saying, look, we're good guys here. We want our content to be everywhere. We're not going to take it exclusive, but there's a, a shift between what Xbox wants and what Sony wants. They don't want it to necessarily be exclusive to their hardware. They're looking to the future where it's platforms and subscription that are that lead the way in in where consumers start their experience with games and they will take Call of Duty exclusive to their subscription but let it be available for purchase everywhere else because that would still be in line with their strategy. Still seems like everyone's sort of, the push towards vertical integration, it's creeping. It's not like this immediate, but they're definitely moving in that direction. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's it's not disingenuous what he's saying, but in a way it is. Because he's like, sure, no problem. If, if, um, if you want Call of Duty to be on PlayStation hardware and for consumers to be able to purchase it here, there, that's great. But in the future, we don't think the hardware is going to be meaningful at all anyway. We think it's going to be the app, the platform that's tied to a subscription service. So we will make it exclusive to our subscription service, at least out of the gate when the new game comes out and when it's an upfront game. Walt, you want to read journal? Sure, Rich. The Wall Street Journal tweets, a judge called Elon Musk's request for years of data about Twitter spam and fake accounts absurdly broad, but it ordered the social media company to provide a subset of the information in a continuing legal battle over Musk's soured $44 billion takeover. I don't like the word soured. Do you think Elon's really soured over buying Twitter or do you think he just wants a lower price? Uh, I don't know. I think we've beat this one to a dead horse. This is just uh, <laughs> the latest iteration showing that this is how courts operate. And this is a judge that obviously follows the doesn't necessarily um, is not impacted by the cult of personality. Um, right. And I think I've said on past podcasts, you know, I think in general, there's a lot of people that that are very big and powerful that seem to get away with a lot of a lot of stuff. And I think a lot of people are just hoping that maybe um, there's some display of the nation of laws and courts deciding facts. And look, maybe the facts are on Elon's side. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's the case, but um, I think it's enough of bending to the power of the cult of personality. Well, I mean, and kind of c continuing on that theme, 
you know, there was the, it's sort of hard not to talk about Twitter this week, came out, you know, earlier in the week was this hacker who basically, you know, I'll read Brian Fung's tweet, Twitter execs have tried to conceal enormous security vulnerabilities that put users, investors, and even U.S. national security at risk, according to a damning new whistleblower report by the company's former head of security, who, you know, this has also been turned into a, you know, the number of bots and and spam on the service is, is inaccurate. And I, I come, I sort of think of the same thing as you, Walt. Like, if you think about just sort of laws and rules around contracts, it never... Twitter never talks about the total number of bots on the platform. It's all about how do they look at this MDAU, the monetizable DAUs, and is that calculation within a reasonable 5% bot number, and do they have a basis for that? And I think that's what the documents that Twitter is going to turn over are sort of all tied to. But it's just sort of fascinating how, you know, each each data point, everyone keeps trying to blow this out of, oh my God, the deal's at risk now. The deal's not going to happen. Elon's going to win. And it's like, what does the contract actually say? And that just seems like it still keeps getting lost. Over what, do you, what do you mean by the contract? You're talking about the contract between- Merger agreement. The merger. The merger what does the merger agreement right. actually the big, say? The big question in this case is whether or not the public filings that Twitter put out were fraudulent in Correct. that they knowingly- said that the number or knowingly inflated the number of MDAU because they didn't count bots as bots. Correct. I don't know how we are qualified to know whether that is true or not. It doesn't seem like something that would be true, given the fact that Jack Dorsey is the person who is running the company. And Jack Dorsey keeps saying, I wish Twitter wasn't even a business. I like has said that he's way more interested, and this is from the first time we met him, in the utility of Twitter than the monetization of Twitter. It would seem like a weird person to be at the helm of a company that's inflating their numbers. Well, I mean, but Jack, even ago. this week, Jack, even this week, literally tweeted out the biggest issue and my biggest regret is that it became a company. Yeah, talking about Twitter. What's yeah, interesting I is mean, the stream after that is they said, oh, should it have been a Dow? He's like, no. <laughs> no to Dow, Brandon, from Jack. <laughs> no to Dow. I mean, Dow. He, no, what he said is it should have been a protocol. But somebody, you know, one of these. Just like email. One of these, you know, web, others, web threeers like, oh, should it have been a Dow? And he just slapped, <laughs> slapped, slapped that back. Oh, he's uh, been consistent in what he said that he thinks that Twitter should have been a protocol, should be going forward, that others should be allowed to innovate on it. And Twitter itself shouldn't be responsible over determining who the good actors and bad actors are, That and that freedom of speech should be paramount, which is why he was in favor of Elon taking it private, because he thought that they could move in that direction under Elon's leadership. Now he's getting subpoenaed, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I'd love that for the discovery to bring up some text messages and emails between all these crew of people. That would be fascinating just for the entertainment value. Bottom so, line, yeah. stock-wise on this, though, Rich, you still feel clearly strongly that this is going to get done at 5420. The stock is still trading above 40. I think there's still a lot of conviction that, you know, obviously that's a widespread for a deal that could close by the end of the year. Because, again, the judge probably comes back by the you know, end of October, early November, probably gets appealed. I've been told that's a several week process. So, you, you know, you probably get a decision by the Supreme Court of Delaware sometime before. Now here's the, end the of issue, the year. though. The longer you fight, the harder the the um, the settlement uh, becomes. Meaning that, like, yeah, if you settle now, and maybe maybe you get Twitter to accept forty five bucks compensation or whatever it is, the longer you fight this, and the closer you get to the end, and the more the Twitter realizes that, that they are going to win this, they'll just say, "Fuck it!" Like I'm not settling at the very end. Yeah. May as well just go the distance. Yeah. This. Well, I mean, Elon did raise seven. The only two months now. I mean, Elon did raise seven billion dollars for some reason, right? Like he can blow it off, but he's clearly worried. You wouldn't do that if you were didn't have some he's level of worried. Concern. I think he's just realistic. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same. You can't get into someone's mind. 
especially Elon's. Speaking, Speaking of, of Elon, Elon, that's a that's a crazy place to go. Go ahead, Walt. Because he's a genius, Brandon. He's a genius. And Elon himself tweeted just yesterday, just last night, at Starlink V2, or what we call the Gen 2 um, constellation, is launching next year, of course, if he gets approval by the FCC. And this time he's saying we're going to transmit direct to mobile phones, eliminating dead zones worldwide. That is quite a statement. Could you explain what that means technically? Well, Rich, um, Spectrum. All right. I see Brandon's already starting to nod off. I'm not nodding off. It's the lifeblood of the wireless industry. We got that. I understand Your phone uses the spectrum of AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and it communicates with the tower. For for Starlink, which is a wonderful service that I use personally, they have their own spectrum, and they can use that globally. Iridium has spectrum they use globally, a number of different satellite providers. So basically what they're saying is, Elon's saying, well, what if I took that spectrum and put it in my future satellites? So rather than that antenna sitting on a tower, I'm effectively going to stick that antenna in my Leo up in the sky. Thereby, okay. it will... Well, you're, to you're explain t- what a Leo is... A Leo is a satellite that spins around the globe. It's how Starlink works. There's a number of different Leo constellations that are out there, but it's basically a satellite, you know, many many miles up in up in space. But a low uh, orbit satellite. Lower than we don't need to get into the delineation yeah. of Leos and Geos at this moment. Sorry, it's, it's a satellite up in space. So, but the issue is like you need a much bigger antenna. You need, as a result, you need. Remember that? Have you seen the big fat ass rocket that he sends up and tries to land? Um, you need to put it on that because the satellite's a lot bigger. And of course, if you're only using T-Mobile Spectrum, you're only licensed to use it over the United States. So if you go back to that tweet, Rich, if you don't mind, for Elon to claim that next year, I think is, can, can we have the tweet back? Yes, I just clicked the wrong hard? button. Were you doing No, I just clicked the wrong, I clicked what, what the wrong button. Okay. Would you relax? He said, eliminating dead zones worldwide. T-Mobile is not licensed worldwide so what that means is he's gonna have to go to vodafone china mobile america mobile all these operators and say can i put your spectrum in this same band in my satellites in order to make it worldwide you basically need one operator in every market around the world to truly give you global even in the u.s by the way like you know they'll get out there and there's lots of fanfare and t-mobile are firing off their confetti cannons and and they say, oh, yeah, you know, no dead spots. But then you look at the press release, it's like near coverage. If you have a shot of the of the sky, I think they're claiming that it's going to work in your pocket. The other funny thing is, it's they're like initially, they have to get FCC approval for all this. Oh, and by the way, the spectrum that they want to use is right next to Dish, who happens to be in major battles with Starlink right now. So you don't think Ergen, the most one of the most litigious CEOs of our era, is not going to be up in their grill saying, wait a minute, interference, interference. And we and there's going to be podcast listeners out there. It's like, oh, that's just Charlie being Charlie. Well, actually, there's a service already proposed out there, AST, America, or I forget the. Um, it's basically it's a new constellation that's getting launched. And guess what? Operator came out and said, we don't think you should you should allow this new Leo to use AT and T spectrum because it might cause interference to us. Yes, that would be T-Mobile. So T-Mobile doesn't want someone else to use Spectrum on a Leo because they have interference, but somehow they want to be able to use their Spectrum on Starlink's constellation. So anyway, so obviously <laughs> there's a this lot. Is, there's a lot. When, when is the earliest this even could happen? Like, let's it, just say like how well, AST is, is sending up satellites, I think, you know, this year. So that'll be a first test case of whether the concept works. For Elon to do it and change his whole constellation, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't really don't believe it's a 2023 event given some of the hurdles. And if it is, it maybe it's on one satellite, which means that let's say you're out in Utah somewhere, you're going to have to wait for that satellite to happen to pass over your head, which might be every 30 minutes for the oh, initial usage. So right. it's not like you send the text, then you can go along your way in your car. Like you're just sitting there waiting and hoping that the satellite's going to go over your head. <laughs> for the tech i mean well if you have an accident something. in the middle of the desert 
and and need to like call sure. for help maybe maybe yeah. as long as you don't happen to be under a cactus or something yeah. like you you got a clear <laughs> shot of the, you got a clear shot of the sky i mean uh, bottom line is, there's there's so much other more to unpack this which i will um in greater detail but not here on this on this podcast but um i don't even know what's going on like i think apple and other like iridium a company we cover um the the perhaps easier way to do this is to take the satellite technology that exists and build it into the phone. And I think there's been some speculation in years, recent years, that Apple is going to do that in conjunction with a satellite operator. I know Iridium might be working on that, perhaps with some someone in the Android world. That would give you true global coverage. Your Iridium phone, you're in you know in Iraq or wherever you're going to be. That works. This phone will not work there. Because the spectrum is not licensed there. So that's not global coverage. Sorry. Not. Next. So we've got um, Yanko Rogers uh, from Protocol. Scoop. This guy gets on our podcast every week. It's incredible. He's got good tweets. Scoop, yeah. Google has told hardware partners that it wants to bring YouTube shorts to smart TVs. So, um, you know, obviously YouTube is already the number two app on connected TVs. We've talked about that quite a bit. Um, you know, over 20% of time spent on connected TVs is YouTube. Uh, but then he's got sort of this, you know, sort of, I'd say a little bit negative tweet. TikTok released smart TV apps last November, but update has been limited. Uptake has been limited. Fewer than 5 million people downloaded its Android TV app. That is factually true. I think what they're missing is that it's early days for TikTok pushing into the TV. And we've got an ad age story. So this was a big story in ad age. I think just yesterday, TikTok ramps up connected TV push. Social platform seeks to hire CTV product lead as short form video takes higher stakes in the streaming space. And we've been talking a lot about TikTok TV as being a big push, not um, forgetting about what it means for TikTok itself, but just sort of the, the realization that you know, you already have Netflix and YouTube representing essentially 50% of time spent on connected TVs. If TikTok comes into the connected TV space, it just takes even more air out of the room for all of these services, whether we're talking about Paramount Plus or Peacock or Tubi or Pluto, like there's just only so many minutes. And I think what people miss is that TikTok is like super entertaining. And, you know, people watch a lot of YouTube on the big screen. I think they're going to watch a lot of TikTok on the big screen as the app gets more visible. They start promoting it more like it's, it's really, really early. Like, I don't think there's a Roku app for TikTok yet or an Apple TV app, but there will be. A couple of reactions to that. One thing is, I think that TikTok is also going to push into longer form content. So getting on the TV is important for that regard. The other is just listening to, and we'll talk about it later, the Zuck, Joe Rogan podcast. I was listening to it last night. Zuck said was making the case about how social media, because of its interactivity, is better for you than just sitting and watching television and, and sucking things in without any reaction or engagement whatsoever. Um, but he said he thinks that social media is taking share from what television and that there's still tons and tons of television slash linear video time that still needs to come out and that the beneficiaries will be all of these social platforms that enable lots of new creators. They have for years already and will enable even more to take more time away from traditional television and even the likes of Netflix going forward. It's a good thing. Media companies aren't levered or have any debt issues or, you know, just it's all good. Love it. That was your good luck bundle to take it retro rich setup. <laughs> I mean, it, it sort of is like, it's, you know, it's just, it's getting worse and worse. And this is just, I don't think anyone's thinking, I don't look, I don't think any of the big media companies, Disney, Warner Brothers Discovery, I do not think this is top of mind for them, but I think it will be in 12 months. Like, I think this is going to be a major 2023 theme that nobody's discussing today. And what was sort of interesting, just to tie Facebook and TikTok together, 
you know, every, I think it's every quarter, every once in a while, I think it's every quarter, Facebook puts out sort of this accountability of sort of the content on the service. And one of the things that Casey Newton noted was five of the 20 most viewed links on Facebook in the past quarter were removed for violating spam policies. But the number one link for the quarter, the number one most viewed link shared on Facebook was for TikTok.com. And I just thought that was sort of fascinating when you think about sort of the shift in consumer behavior that we've been talking about towards TikTok. It's just everywhere. Walt, you were early. And Facebook clearly has TikTok envy, as you know, from their sort of move into reels and other product developments that lean more towards AI and away from pure social content. It's just a real challenge because they're trying to be, you know, how do you, when you're known for sort of pictures and it's just, it's just not easy. It's not an easy transition to shift. I mean, TikTok is what it is. Like even YouTube, YouTube shorts is growing like crazy, but it's still sort of this, you know, inherent battle between the core YouTube and the YouTube shorts. Like you still have sort of what people are fundamentally using the platform for. Yeah. I mean, the one thing with Zuck and I, I think I like Zuck not as a person necessarily, but as an executive more than most people, um, is that he has been able to continuously evolve and pivot the platform, the big pivot um, to mobile back in whatever year that was, 2010 or 11, number one. And then number two, this evolution from text to pictures, pictures to video, they've done a pretty good job of. So we'll see if they can change the you know, core recommendation engine. They do have plenty of investment dollars and plenty of engineers and have been working on AI products for a very long time. Walt, you want to talk Dragon? Actually, talk about the Love first thing you saw before you even got Dragon. Did anyone watch House of Dragon? Uh, yeah, guys? I did. How did, how did you like it? I haven't watched it yet. You know, I'm not really into the overly violent aspects of game of throne some of them are fine some of them get a little bit intense like for those that watched i don't even care if this is a spoiler but at, for the old one i'm saying if you remember reek like those were not my favorite episodes yeah. oh is that a spoiler? <laughs> um, like the red wedding episode wasn't one of your no, favorites no, red wedding is fine no, red like, wedding. That's, that's like that's that's dramatic it's fine there's a lot of the violence around it. reek was crazy yeah and i yeah. think there was that, but so I think that was weird to stick that in the front, but whatever. I think, I don't know, like within my friend group, people weren't huge fans within the other people, like the younger set that watched it. But the bottom line is there's a, there's a need for community that we all have. And I think the most amazing thing that I, that we all saw on Twitter, the Twitter was that person outside that apartment complex in New York City where you could see how how many of those apartments were watching this thing and and like so even if you don't like it so even amongst my friends they were not necessarily huge fans of episode 1 of course I'm going to watch episode 2 of course and then I think to a certain extent it was renewed for season 2 this morning that doesn't mean shit so um so what I think is interesting is that if people just keep watching it even if they're complaining about it it becomes something you kind of have you have to watch, right? And I think so. Look, they're benefiting. Unless it's so. The bottom line is, it wasn't great, but it was definitely good enough to I think to keep those engagements. So I don't know. My question to you, Richard S. Greenfield, given that color that I've given you and Brandon, yeah. if ten million was the number in week one, what is the week two number? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, gonna, it's if the feedback on this is mixed and people didn't love it, there's obviously going to be leakage. Okay, so I had right? I had of my oldies group. Everyone thought it was going to be down anywhere from seven down to like seven or eight million. I was just going to say for, for my youth group, they're like, "No, nah, dude, it's going to sixteen next week." You know, rocket ships. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a couple emojis. things to think about. First of all, first of all, the total number of viewers for week one is probably going to be twenty to thirty million, right? Like the the opening night Rich, is, is. Don't throw additional numbers out there. Let's just stick to the number that's going to come out after the weekend. Ten million was the number that's. Uh, in it will be brain. lower. I would bet it's eight million or less. Okay, Brandon, what do you got? 
Would you like me to read the next one? Or I already said 8 million. So is oh, that- Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, <laughs> I must have missed your 8 million. So Rich, you got to pick something different. At least go prices right, seven, eight, eight, two. I'll know, go gotta, seven and a half. I'll go seven and a half. Well, I within my friend group, I went with like six, eight initially, but now these the the apes have convinced me that it's going to be up. Um, my call is up. I thought the apes were banned from our podcast. What are you talking about? No, the apes are not banned. Do you understand what apes are as opposed to what you're obsessed with? <laughs> Two different things. I'm going to say question, up. I'm saying okay, so, up. Okay, so let, let's just say you're right. Let's just say it is. Let's say it yes, is I'm up. Probably wrong, but go ahead. No, no. Yes. Let's just say it's up. The real question is: is given all of the amazing content on HBO, I mean, White Lotus is coming back. Like you just, you know, Succession is coming back. Why in the world are they offering the same week House of the Dragon comes out? Why are they offering forty percent off HBO Max yearly plans? Like to me. All a yearly plan is doing is giving a discount to your wealthiest customers who can afford an upfront large payment. Probably the least likely to churn people are going to pay upfront for the entire year. I don't get it at all. I understand what you're saying, Rich, but I think that has nothing to do with the question at hand of whether it's going to be a 12 million number or an 8 million number. He's trying to he's trying to bring this back to the to uh, (laughs) business and stock, right? That's not business and stocks, because if it's 12 million, then then all that shit doesn't matter, because then you're going to get more and more people interested in in subscribing to the to the HBO Max. So why in the world are you discounting? So why are you discounting? I mean, look. It doesn't we, make any sense. We, I just we, don't understand at all. What, what, what's going to mean more we, to Warner Bro Discovery? A unit number or, or a revenue number for that particular quarter? I mean, the street is pretty, I mean, the company's pretty focused. A unit on number or a revenue number? You know the answer. You just don't want to say it. It's unit number. And that's why. Boom. All the, a, sub, yeah. a sub number. I mean, exactly. Although, you although, know this, although this company he, is he pretty, say it. pretty say, it, um, say it's cash flow sensitive. Just because Let's, they're really focusing on cash flow over subs. But are they though? They are. I mean, they really are. I mean, okay, but the, what is going to be more meaningful to the stock? <laughs> can, can we just ask another question? Sure. What do you think the monthly churn is for HBO Max? Not the MVPD tied um, HBO, but the actual over-the-top version of HBO Max. What do you think the monthly churn is? I mean, it's probably 4% or more. Definitely more than 4%. It could even be 5%. Unquestionably more than 4%. It could be 5%. So if we were to do the math on how long the average subscriber stays for, and what the LTV of each of those subs is, is the LTV, which is very much churn driven, going to be higher at a 40% discount for the whole year or for a month to month basis. The reason it's different for Netflix, and I know you were kind of like quoting Reed there in talking about the churn of the wealthiest subs is Netflix has way more content and much broader appeal. There's something for everyone at all times, theoretically. Whereas HBO, yes, they have the movies, but on the television side, it's much more hit-driven. And the people who watch Game of Thrones might not be the same people who watch White Lotus And you want to be able to cross promote your shows to those people. So the strategic um, reasoning for an HBO to make this decision may be very different than that of a Netflix. And I guess you're trying to make some of it up in advertising, right? Like the the reality is sort of tied heavily. And that's, and that's the other thing, right? Now that you're, you know, including advertising on this, you need total viewership hours, no matter what. We like to have some fun on this podcast. And this is sort of my, to me, was just an incredible story of how nothing ever changes in Hollywood. And Matt Baloney at Puck News broke this over, I think it was over the weekend. Uh, Nobody at Warner Brothers wanted to make this movie. And it literally has, uh, this is a story of how um, there's a Robert De Niro movie, Robert De Niro uh, making a movie called Wise Guys with, uh, I guess, directed by Nick, uh, by Barry Levinson and Nick Pelleggi, two 80-year-old 
um, very well-known movie executives, but nobody wanted to make this Octogenarians. That's the, that's the way to say it. Fine. Octogenarians. Octogenarians. Well, and Erwin Winkler, who's 91, was the lead producer. What's the word for that? How do you do? Nueva Nigerians? What is 90? And what what do you call I don't know. Mark? But, but bottom line, this movie was turned down by Warner Brothers and all of a sudden resurrected after Zaslav came in as CEO. And then there's this great quote that we have called out here. Turns out Pelleggi. So this is uh, the 89-year-old um, scriptwriter here. Um, and his late wife, Nora Ephron, have been close Hampton friends of the Zaslavs for years. And I just thought, like, it's one of those amazing stories of, like, what in the world is the CEO of a media company doing green lighting films, um, especially when your whole focus of this company is on making sure that you make stuff that is really commercially capable of earning a return and stuff that's theater worthy, right? Like they don't want to do direct to consumer movies anymore or direct to streaming movies. They want to do big things that really work in movie theaters. And they're literally pushing something into theaters that the entire management team doesn't think is commercially viable in theaters. It's just a great story of what is wrong with Hollywood. I can't wait to see it. And I think trust in Zaz. That is going to be a hit movie. The apes You're are going, going to, to see join together guys. to go see it in an, in a theater to drive the numbers up. I love. Wait it. a minute. Will I it be in a theater it. or not? It will be in a theater. They, Let's, they don't do get anything. Word out on Reddit. We're well, you know the WCBD strategy. Theater first. And that is their strategy, and and sort of that's what's sort of amazing. You know, Brandon, why don't you read this next one? Because this is sort of the exact opposite strategy. This is from Jatesh. Just like with last pick in Oct 2021, Universal will now release hashtag Halloween ends both in theaters and also day and date on its streaming service Peacock, allowing fans to choose how they want to see it. Release date still October 14th with pre-shows October 13th. Hashtag Halloween kills opened to $49.4 million. So that right there says, tells you the difference between the strategy at NBCU and the strategy at WBD. NBCU, you decide, you want to see it in the theater, go see it in the theater. You just want to see it on the small screen, then go ahead and uh, and watch Halloween on Peacock. But I think it's bigger than that, too, because I think it also just speaks to because that's not a universal strategy. No uh, pun intended. Um, uh, but that is not the universal strategy at NBC. I think it's case by case. And it's a word that you've used, Brandon, when you talk about Disney, sort of a flexible approach to how you release movies. And it's just interesting to me that Warner Brothers has this very clear we're only doing it this way. And you just don't see that from the other studios that have streaming services. And I can't I can't really figure out why there's such specific religion uh, around yeah. this at Warner Brothers. I have theories. I mean, part of uh, part of my theory is that Zaslav wants to be seen as, quote, talent friendly and be the known or thought of as the opposite of the Jason era. And so he's like, yeah, we're just going to go back. Like, we know you, like, producers, directors want this content. Actors want it to be on the big screen. And we're so friendly, talent friendly that we're going to put everything on the big screen no matter what. I think I think it's that more than anything. And, and that may be right. Sorry. No, I was going to say, wasn't there some talent um, tweeting at him at this week about how he, they felt like he was unfriendly to a movie that they canceled? Well, yeah, that's the irony in yeah. it all because of the Batgirl situation, right? Yes. <laughs> I. <laughs> well, because the bottom line is this company is five times levered, can't afford any, you know, I mean, they're literally cutting, they're cutting movies, they're cutting, you know, investment in, in I mean, sort of really trying to pare back the spending um, to improve profitability. I mean, and again, we've talked about HBO profitability went from two and a half billion two years ago to sub 500 million. Like there is a clear focus on bringing HBO back to profit or meaningful profitability. And that sort of, it's just, I think the, the irony of all of this is how, you know, when he bought um, Robert Evans house, Zaslav that is, 
you know, there was all this talk of sort of there's a new, you know, there's a new chief, a new mogul in town, and everyone was excited about the new Warner Brothers and the press. You know, the 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 Hollywood press has really shifted pretty dramatically on Warner Brothers and Zaslav in a pretty short period of time. And now it's sort of like what we're hearing from people is sort of like this is the Jack Welch, John Malone, like cost cutting focus on, you know, like rather than sort of lavish spending that I think Hollywood was, quote unquote, hoping for just a few months ago. Wait a minute. He brought the he bought the house of the purveyor of the great American chain. Um that serves wonderful pancakes, Bob Evans. Robert Evans' house is was bought by David Zaslov. Bob Evans, down on the farm. Breakfast restaurants, great pancakes. No? Are we talking uh, about the same Bob Evans? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I just, don't know either. I doubt I, it. We're talking I about the it. legendary producer, Robert I, Evans. Uh, so yeah, to our podcast it. listeners, let me just go. Let's, let's break I, the third wall again. To our podcast listeners, Rich is an elitist New York City person that's never been to a Bob Evans or a Texas Longhorn, Longhorn Steakhouse or anything like that. So he has no fucking idea what I'm talking about. None. I literally have Bob no Evans idea what you're farms. talking about. Jesus. None. But I do know he's a legendary producer. Walt is very hot on Fast Casual because he dropped his son off at college in a town that has every single Fast Casual restaurant maybe ever including long john silvers including long john silvers was telling us earlier in the week how he wants to eat at all of them and yes. then sent a link to like a google map so we could see the street they're on yes. and have every have you seen the movie the godfather have you, have you seen of, the movie the godfather bar, bar crawls i'm gonna do have you heard of the movie the godfather fast, <laughs> godfather fast casual rich i know who robert evans is red, i was trying to make red a joke Robin gourmet but burger, I didn't applebee's yeah you know, just name them all. I, I didn't. I wanted to make a joke. I didn't realize it gave me an opportunity to highlight your elitism. What's our next slide? No, we got to just finish off on this one. So the other oh, piece sorry. of this is not Rich only is a liberal elite, not only is Hollywood ends <laughs> coming to Peacock day and date, but NBC is also getting back um, all of their content starting September 19th. They get back the Hulu content. So you'll now see the you know next day television that was airing. I think Bravo shows too. Next day TV that was airing on Hulu now moves over to Peacock. And so this is why the losses of, of Peacock start to really balloon as you move into the second half of the year is that they're now reclaiming all of this content. And the big question is, is this going to really move the needle on viewership? And because they're obviously they're spending a lot of money to acquire this content. And will it make a difference? Because so far, Peacock viewership uh, off of Comcast set-top boxes has been you know, pretty insignificant. So we'll see. We'll see. That's great. But for our podcast listeners, please, please submit your favorite fast casual restaurant for my review. I will describe my favorite dish at that restaurant. Thank Maybe we now should do we theme the music. Slide. Maybe we should do theme music from the, from the winner all to open up, up next episode. Weekend. Cannot wait. I may stay there for a week. A little red lobster. Yeah. Brandon, you want to tee this one up or should I play the video first? Um, I could read the tweet. John O'Rand, ESPN's Burke Magnus on the lack of a Big Ten deal. What we needed to get at the price that we needed to get it at. Neither of those things were available to us. And so he's. this is obviously all about the um, ESP, ESPN Disney passing on the Big Ten deal. What we needed to get at the price that we needed to get it at, neither of those things were available to us. And so, you know, as difficult as it was to go separate directions, um, you know, it was the right decision for our company. There's no doubt about that. We're going to continue to be heavily invested in college sports. Nothing is forever in the rights buying business. So you got to be somewhat dispassionate about and stick to your process, if you will. Um, but it was hard. It was a hard decision. Uh, I think the use of the word dispassionate is really interesting. Yeah, dispassionate is kind of the word that I keyed in on here. And it's very similar to the language that we heard out of Christine on the callback following um, the Disney earnings call, where it's just this is now dollars and cents. For, for Meaning like why, why they passed on going IPL so rights in India. Exactly. And, you know, they're 
trying to posture a little bit on the NBA deal, which is coming up. They're going to do something with the NBA. I'd be shocked if they didn't, but they're letting it be known that they are now very cost sensitive, whether it's in sports rights or it's in any kind of um, general entertainment. Speaking of being cost sensitive, Brandon, this is another John Oran. Is this is this the only guy we follow on Twitter? <laughs> and Janko Janko Rogers, <laughs> whose name we're probably it. botching. Well, Mark does pick the tweets every week. So Mark, honestly, Mark, you, can we get some? Where is CNET? Where is CNET? Mark, can we get some diversity in these tweets? I mean, geez, John Oran, read it, Brandon. Comcast is selling its Washington, D.C. RSN to Ted Leonsis's monumental sports and entertainment. The deal will close at the end of next month. Well, Comcast finally got a taker for one of their RSNs. That's my reaction. <laughs> Congrats. Next. Next. <laughs> well, but, but doesn't it also show how team owners are trying to reclaim so in this case, team owners trying to reclaim just like the Yankees, right? So you're trying to sort of take full control because like part of the problem that a lot of the the leagues and teams have is that they've sold off their RSN rights yeah. to Comcast, Sinclair, Liberty over the years, DirecTV. And that's really created the problem is that you own the team and you created these networks and then you sold them off to other people or partnered with other people. It makes it very hard to pivot to the future. Like that's why there isn't a... MLB or NBA owned, you know, local streaming services because they don't control all the rights and they've parsed them out to all of these RSNs with, you know, all of these different public companies having, you know, conflicting desires. And so it, this is a long way from cleaning up all the shit that has to get cleaned up on the RSN world, but it certainly shows you a step in the right direction, I guess. Yeah. And in terms of having tight control over this content. This is the way that most of your fans engage with your product, right? It's social media, which is kind of fly by night and watching games on the RSN. So you want to make sure that you can figure out a way to create the best possible experience for your fans and to be able to engage those fans wherever they are. So it makes sense to bring it in. Plus, I think the price is probably very right for Ted. We haven't had Metaverse yet, so why don't you go ahead, Brandon? Yeah, why not? iHeartMedia plans to host Metaverse concept concerts in Fortnite Virtual World. So we actually we'll, haven't talked about Fortnite a lot lately. No, we, we haven't talked about Fortnite per se. Fortnite, by the way, is still enormous as a game. I, they, I think they still have like 70 or so million MAU and their users are still engaging a couple hours a day. So it's still a very important property. We talked about Fortnite Creative 2.0, which is kind of on the way, but um you know, kind of kicking it back to what they've done with Travis Scott, one of the ways to engage a broader audience on the platform in 3D Interactive is through these concerts. We've seen them on Roblox. We've seen them in Fortnite. We've seen them in Minecraft. And you're going to see that probably continue as the use cases on this on these platforms, you know, move further and further away from games. Brandon, you're a believer in presence. Earlier, we were talking about someday. I don't know if we're going to get to that quote by Zuki. Is that coming? We are. Next? We are. You want to hold that? Why don't, why don't you hold no, that? No, I'm not going to hold it, but I'm just going to ask uh, this okay. question yeah. as, a, as a maybe a precursor to that or as a setup to that. Okay. But would you, rather than these list of fish concerts that you that you discussed at the at the start of this wonderful podcast? Would you, in fact, go into Fortnite and have in the metaverse and, and watch fish at, fish, fish at all those different um, times of the year that you go rather than actually traveling there? Um, I don't think that's a mutually exclusive question, Walt. I think that the type of experience that you would create, any band would create 
in Fortnite would be very different than what their live experience is. Well, and I, about Fortnite, what about a true? Well, it's not true, right? Because there's the graphics wise, you're still an emoji, right? So let's say it's not Fortnite, just a you know a metaverse concert by Fish at their own yeah. discretion, at their own well, design. I, I think that there would be that it would be a different canvas for the band to create on. So I don't think it would be remotely the same. And we saw this with Travis Scott and some of the things that um, he did in his concert and others. It would be a totally different experience than than I kind of imagine like you're you're listening to the Beatles, but you're in the middle of the Sgt. Pepper's cartoon and like. Travis is like floating around on a pink dinosaur yeah, there's, or whatever there's, they do. There's artistic things that you can do and different ways to interact with other people. Do I think that experience will ever be as quote good, even though it's different as the real thing? No, I don't. I think there's something about being with other people, having the quote collective, as as you like to say, Walt, the energy that comes from people being in the same room and the interplay between the band and the audience that you're not going to capture there. But as presence gets better and better over time with headsets or AR, I think we will be able to move closer to that experience with the ability to add other you know, artistic uh, endeavors around it. Well, that's an interesting thing. And the collective for our podcast listeners, you might remember something that we joked about many episodes ago was from Quentin Tarantino, um, who was arguing that the importance of theaters, I get it that the collective is better when you have a physical human next to you. Cause like how they stir is, is, you know, part of the overall experience. Do you think you can even have any type of collective experience? Forget about a concert, just any watching a movie, doing a sporting event, any collective experience, not even in today's version of the metaverse, but let's say the metaverse over the next five years. Over the next five years, let's not put a timeline. Let's call it five years, 10 years. I like timelines, five years. Okay. I think it will not be, again, the same as live, but I do believe that you will be able to feel more present with others um, in in virtual reality or other forms of 3D interactive. Yes. So then incrementally, if you're not getting that incremental collective experience, is it rather than me, me, um, you know, well, roll the video on Zuck. I think now's a good time. Uh, Zuck is next. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rate the play the second one first, and then we'll come back to the first. Yeah. One. Here's the here's the second one. This is how Zucky. I follow this it. this economist who basically studies that economic opportunity and and upward mobility is sort of limited, um, or, or varies based on like what what zip code you grow up in, right? Because there's different opportunities in different places. But you know, imagine if you didn't have to you know move to some city that didn't have your values in order to be able to get all the economic opportunities, that would be awesome. So in the future where you can just use AR, VR, and teleport in the morning to the office Mm. and show up as a hologram, I think that's going to be pretty sweet, right? It'll unlock a lot of economic opportunity for for a lot of people. So I guess the question then is, like, if you don't really get that collective experience within five years, is that really any different than teleporting via Zoom to that city, which we're doing right now? Um. Like the seeing the physical body. If you don't get the collective experience, Mm -hmm. okay, then no. I mean, right now, if you want to go to concerts, I watch, I mean, there's a subscription for fish where I could watch if I wanted to. I don't actually subscribe, believe it or not. This is nugs.net. Um, yes, this no. is there's live fish, which is half owned by Nugs and half owned by the band. Right. Um, I could watch every show in, you know, as it happens with amazing camera work, et cetera. If I wanted to, I just don't want to. I go to enough shows and that's good enough for me most of the time. And then if I want to watch a YouTube highlight of the you know kind of best jam or whatever of the last show, I, I do that. But there is, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, there is optionality for me. There are people who have 
you know, three kids that can't make it to the show. And this is kind of a next best thing for them. Right. It's incremental. So it's better than watching it on your 65 inch OLED, but it's not nearly as good as being there in person. No, but I think that technology will improve over time, rendering the ability to trick the brain into thinking that you are someplace that you're not. There are shortcuts. Zuck talks, you know, reasonably extensively about that on the Rogan podcast that will allow you to be able to interact with people in a different way than just seeing a flat image on a screen. I mean, memories are triggered by a lot of things, smells, you know, feelings, cool air, warm air. Totally. Um, A lot. I mean, I think the body is a complex sensory organ that it's going to be hard to truly provide a replicated virtual experience, but we'll see. I'm not black and white about, I mean, you know know this about me in general, about most things. I think things happen on an evolutionary basis. And I think there will be experiences that are much better than they are today. And we will get more towards what it's like in reality for some life experiences by doing it digitally but it won't be a replacement for everything. It'll be just another arrow in the quiver of people who want to communicate or for creators to create media broadly. I personally am more interested in the having this sensory experience in my existing location and augmenting it with additional information whether via camera or whatever it's going to like a glasses like the google glass to me seems like a more realistic next technology benefit um that i can see the humans really embracing as opposed to trying to recreate presence and all of these sensory things that i just previously mentioned that i'm sure scientists can put in better words than i um clumsily did um you know so i think ar augmented reality is probably more interesting again not mutually exclusive though absolutely absolutely can augment our life in the real world absolutely and at home especially if you live in a remote location yeah maybe that's the best thing that you can you can have but within a five-year time frame, I think the reality of augmented reality seems more likely than yes. the metaverse. No. Yeah, it's it's generally an easier technological problem to solve. Obviously, in order for it to feel natural, you're going to have to have wearables that you don't notice. And that requires miniaturization of a lot of the things. Like, I don't know. I mean, you may be right about that, but I just, I, I just read the book on BlackBerry and those guys were convinced that you could never use a smartphone without a keyboard or you would never be able to use data. So I don't know. And look, even this stuff, look at it for our, for our viewers. Rich is wearing the AirPods. I remember when those first came out, I ripped in, into those things. I thought everyone looked like a douche that they had like these random shit yeah. out of their ear. And like now it's like commonplace that that, that looks fine. Yeah, our our body, not to get like too out there, but our bodies have been supplemented by technology. We have phones in our hand that people like me, you and Rich are always looking at at all time. It's basically an appendage for us. And that experience of experiencing the digital world and the physical world simultaneously is going to become easier as technology continues to advance. And yes, one day there may even be Neuralink. I don't know if that's going to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I'm clearly not smart enough to know. But I mean, the science as explained, you know, at least to me, and actually this is another thing Zuck talks on the podcast, is going to be there at some point. Yeah, I don't look. It's naive. It's naive. I actually am like, when people are like, this sounds crazy. I actually think it's crazier to say that these things won't exist than it is crazy to think that they will at some point. I mean, I'll give you a a good example that's easy and not even intrusive to how you view someone is, you know, we have phone systems, you know, telemarketing systems where the supervisor can whisper into the ear of the sales associate 
and not have the, per- the other person at the end of the line. Link- Riches walks around constantly with those AirPods in his ears. What if his phone knew the presence that he was walking up to? It's like, this is Brandon Ross. These are his three kids. This is when his birthday is. Providing him like a whispering information about the people that he's coming in contact around him. That's very unintrus- unobtrusive to the people that are around him and gives him a leg up in his socialization of networking. Thank you. Dude, if you want to talk, if you want to talk about audio, there's now ways to get audio to to the brain without physical things outside of the ear. There's surgeries that are done for that, right. where it's Bluetooth connected and you could listen to music even and no one even knows you're listening to music. It's done for people clearly with hearing disabilities, yeah. but. Why won't that become more commonplace as as sure. come down? Yeah, I mean, I, I have those ear. I have those ear. There's ear things. I forget to call them, but they basically they don't sit in your ear. They just they're they're they rest bone on the connectivity. bone. Connectivity. Yeah, bone connectivity. Sounds great. Sounds I use great. it for swimming. It's great. Yeah. Let's do the other half of the. There's another clip we have here. I mean, we always like to end on something funny. So during the Joe Rogan interview, um, just listen to this sort of comment take about uh, use of social media. Joe Rogan interview with Hill. Social media. With Mark Zuckerberg, sorry. And social media and these kind of things that these kids do. But I, I think it's a part of life. And I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's new and it's weird and it's confusing and it can be very addictive. But I also think it's a part of life. But going out to dinner with them is so hard. <laughs> they just want to check their, like, uh, like, hey, put your phone down. Stop snapping with your friends. They're always Snapchatting. I'm like, stop, stop doing that. It's like, well, we got to stop that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty amazing, right? Like Joe Rogan interviewing Mark Zuckerberg saying kids, you know, when you go out with kids, all they want to do is Snapchat, not yeah. use Instagram not, or Facebook. Not or, Instagram or Facebook blue or WhatsApp. They want to Snapchat. He's like, yeah, we got to put a stop to that. It was pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, sort of amazing. And like that that came up in that context and he's right it's because snapchat is this addicting service because it's how you communicate it's far it's not really an entertainment platform it's a it's a communications platform which has always been why it's been so sticky yeah, the song anyway, is putting me to sleep by the way I, what in the I, world I, is this song I, I highly recommend um listening to that interview i thought i thought it was great it crystallized a lot of things that we already know or reminded us of those things, which I thought was great. The one interesting thing, I, my biggest takeaway from it was when Zuck talked about working out actually, and this is just a life thing, and talked about how it's very difficult for him to run because he can't stop his mind um, from thinking. He's not fully engaged in it because there's, you don't have to focus on anything. I have the exact same problem with running. I fucking hate running. I need to do workouts that are much more interactive than that. Anyway. As our podcast listeners know, there's an easy way to fix that. You listen to the Light Shed podcast while running, and then you focus on what we're saying as opposed to all the problems that you have in life. So you're welcome for providing that mental service during your job. <laughs> Pick up the pace now. You only got a mile left. Let's go. You think this... Do you think this song is going to help people pick it's up their to sleep? No, it's, it's literally going to put me to sleep. Their pace. Come on, pick up the pace. Just for 30 seconds, pick up the pace if you're listening to this on your run. And then you can you can go down and rest for 30. A little hit. That's episode 121, folks. Have a wonderful weekend. And Brandon, enjoy Santa Fe. Not in kid. Uh, Still not in kick. I'm going down.